You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Tonight's reading comes from Proverbs chapter 1 and 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, that you are indeed a good father, that you have not left us to figure out life on our own, but you have given us your word, you have given us your son, you have given us wisdom. So God, now we pray that we would hear, that we would uh, listen for you, be led by your spirit, uh, even thinking about ways that you are a good father so that we might be better parents, present parents, future parents, that we might be better children of yours, children of our own parents. God, we pray that we might do all of these things for our own joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. It's good to hear all of your singing voices. Uh, Thanks to Andrew, wherever you just went. Yeah, for being back here from New York City. New York City uh, for helping lead us in song. Uh, It's great to be here with all of you in 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, It's good to be back in the book of Proverbs. Uh, After a five-week break, We are back for just two weeks to wrap up this short series in the book of Proverbs, being somewhat of a topical series. Uh, We're going to be thinking about being parents, being children tonight, and then we'll consider the wise woman of Proverbs 31 next week, which may be a chapter that is far more deep, far more important than you might have realized. Everyone should be here next week. This is not a one-week women's conference uh, next week. We all need Proverbs 31 really, really badly, and it's just the best conclusion of a wonderful book. Uh, So with that in mind, uh, parenting. Uh, Many of you are now out of your parents' house. You're in college, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, but you don't have kids. Uh, Maybe some of you are not married. Some of you do not desire to have children. Many others of you long for the day to be a mother and father. But like next week, won't just be a one-week women's conference. Uh, This is not just a one-week parenting conference for like the young 30s with small children or something. So should all of the rest of you who don't have kids just stand up now and go get some tacos? No, no. Uh, Because tonight, I think we're going to find, might just be applicable for all of us. Um, 
So this is an important night, even, even if tonight might be a painful reminder of something that you long for, something that you don't have. Uh, so please stay for a couple of reasons. One, uh, many of you who are not yet parents, some of you will be someday. You will be parents. Even some of you young kids, you teenagers, this is a good thing to begin thinking about uh, even now. We'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but it is incredibly wise to begin thinking about the kind of husband or wife, the kind of husband or father that you are to become if God were to give you marriage and children. You don't just wake up someday when you're 35 or 50 as an amazing husband or father or dad or mom. You become that. You have become wise or godly or a patient person full of the character of Christ over many years. So with that in mind, like students, you middle schoolers or you college students, this spring semester actually really, really matters to the kind of parent that you might become. Uh, You'll never be what you aren't becoming. So it's good and wise to begin soberly thinking about the kind of parent that you hope to one day be if God were to indeed make you a parent. But then secondly, even if the Lord does never give you marriage, never gives you children, hopefully he will give you many, many sons and daughters in the Lord as we live out our lives together as the family of God. And that is not just like a trite Christian greeting card. I'm serious, and we'll swing back around to that in a few minutes. So this sermon should apply to every single person in this room, even if more immediately to some of you than others. So with that in mind, we're going to think through this subject tonight under three headings, uh, primarily intended toward three different audiences that I hope will will be uh, applicable to all of us. So first, we're going to think and spend some time speaking to the parents, that of training our children, and then to children thinking about growing under authority. And that's why, kids, uh, this should be a torch week. This is a three-week week where we did torch three weeks ago. We decided to push that off one week for you to be here tonight because we're going to be thinking about what it means to be a kid uh, under your parents' authority. And then lastly, though, we're going to be thinking about just to the church together living as the family of God. So training our children, growing under authority, and living as the family of God. So first of all, training our children. Let's begin with one of the most famous Proverbs in the entire book of Proverbs. Most famous, like even not just thinking about parenting, but of any subject. And that is this, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, while the Hebrew word for train, train up a child, may have some more like subtle connotations relating to like dedication, kind of like dedicate your child in the way that he should go, I think train here is actually a fine English word that the ESV uh, translation has chosen. Uh, That is like practice your children in the way that he or she should go. Grow them, discipline them. Uh, Ryan Gilmore is a cross-country coach. And so we might say to him, Ryan, train your cross-country runners in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it. Practice them, grow them, discipline them in preparation for the future. And that is what parents ought to be thinking about for their children. That is, at its core, I think what parenting is all about, training. Now, before we go any further, it might be worth asking, is parenting even a thing? That sounds like a ludicrous, ludicrous question, but I recently heard on a, on a podcast, I heard a Cal Berkeley psychology professor explain that the word parenting itself does not really appear in the English language until the 1970s. Parenting as a verb. 
It really doesn't become a thing, a action that you do uh, as a word that we use in this, until the 70s. She notes that while I might say that I parent my children, that's really kind of the only action verb relationship that I have. I don't like husband my wife or my children don't child me as their father. Right? This is kind of a unique word that we have adopted for us as parents, to parent. This professor's thesis is that as families began to get smaller in the mid-20th century, as people began to get more and more mobile, as people began to delay having children until later in life, then essentially for the first time in human history, uh, you had a bunch of people who had lots and lots of experience in work and lots and lots of experience in education, uh, but then they had fewer siblings, fewer younger siblings, they had fewer nieces and nephews around, and they didn't really know what to do with now these new babies. That's certainly true for me. The very first diaper I changed in my entire life was in the hospital was Owen Sherman, uh, like 13 years ago, uh, with a newborn baby. That was the very first diaper I changed in my entire life, and I think that's true for many of you as well. And so she says that in the 70s, folks began treating the parental relationship in the same way that we treat the school and the work relationships that we have. That is, if I can just find the right book, if I can take the right training course, if I can find the right method, then things will go well for me. And thus, the multi-billion dollar parenting industry was born, all the way from James Dobson and Focus on the Family to Oprah and Dr. Phil. But is that right? Is parenting a novel thing that's like 50 years old, an American thing from the 70s. Should we not treat parenting as a verb? Should being a parent merely be something that we are rather than something that we do? I think yes and no. What I've just asked actually oversimplifies this professor, Dr. Alison Gopnik, because she's titled her book, a book that I have not read, she titles her book, the carpenter and the gardener. She explains that many, if not most American parents, treat parenting like carpentry. That is, if you can just make the right cuts, if you can sand off the rough edges, if you can attach the right skills, then you can shape your child into some masterpiece. But that's actually not reasonable or realistic. Instead, she says that parenting is much more like gardening. You never know what's going to happen in the garden. And the health of the plants is actually mostly out of your control. What you can control is a nutrient-rich, stable environment where many different things can happen, but you have a dynamic enough ecosystem that can respond to unpredictability. Now, as far as I know, Dr. Gopnik is not a Christian, and I'm sure I would find myself disagreeing with her in many, many ways. But I think her metaphor of carpentry or gardening is actually really helpful and is actually biblically wise. I've tried to come up with the definition of Christian parenting, both from the Proverbs and from other places, Deuteronomy 6 and from Hebrews 12. But here's what I've come up with. And you'll notice that there actually are lots of active verbs here uh, that parents should assume for themselves. That is, parenting is training a child for a skilled and flourishing life by surrounding him or her with the knowledge of God and the awareness of the gospel. Parenting is training a child for a skilled and flourishing life by surrounding him or her with the knowledge of God and awareness of the gospel. And this is essentially what the entire book of Proverbs is actually about. It is one giant collection of parenting lessons to children that we as adults can still learn from and grow in wisdom from. This is why I just had Quinn actually read from Proverbs 1 and 2. We've 
thought about those. We spent six weeks really thinking about parenting as an intro to the book of Proverbs. All of Proverbs is parenting. Again, you heard the attention grabbers from chapters one and two that Quinn read earlier, but also consider chapter three, verses one and two. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Solomon desires and wants a flourishing life for his son, so he is surrounding him with the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen, my son, listen. I have understood the way of life and the things of God for longer than you have, so just listen for my experience. And maybe confirming Dr. Gopnik's hunch that we're all just looking for the right book or manual, uh, in that sense, I would really like to recommend a book to you. Uh, This is Paul Tripp's book. It's called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. This is a really good, it's like 12 bucks on Amazon. It's, It's worth it. Uh, And several of the principles that he gives us, several of the 14, uh, I think support my definition of parenting as well as agreeing with the Proverbs and as well as agreeing with like the gardening metaphor. For instance, he says, one principle that we need to adopt for ourselves as parents is inability. Recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. That it's vital to admit that you have no power whatsoever to change your child even as you train them. And that our go-to tactics of fear and reward and shame actually do not do for our children what we think that they will do. Like, you do that again and you don't even want to know what will happen. That of fear, does that actually produce the kind of heart change that we hope it will? Or reward, like, come on, if you just do what's right, I'll get you that thing. Come on, please. Or even shame. Like, when I was your age, I wouldn't have even thought of doing something like that. None of that is the gospel, and it is absolutely not the way that God transforms our hearts. He transforms us through love, through giving us a positive vision of glory. He even transforms us through discipline, because he loves us. And the Proverbs have much to say about discipline as an indispensable part of training a child, training a child for a flourishing life. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is essentially Hebrews 12. Now this subject really demands more time than I'm going to be able to give it here tonight, but here's the thing. The Bible is overwhelmingly clear that a parent who loves their children will discipline them. And it's impossible to come away from reading the Proverbs without the overwhelming conclusion that corporal punishment or spanking is actually not some primitive or unenlightened thing that we thankfully as a culture have moved on from, but it is actually a wonderful means of God's grace. I realize that that word itself, spanking, might be legitimately triggering to some of you who have been victims of abuse. But like so many other areas of life, the wrong abuse of spanking or discipline does not disqualify its rightful use. And the rightful use of spanking as a form of discipline is always done in self-control, is always done in patience, is always done in love. It is never retributive. Oh, you've done it now. Get over here. It is always used to grab and redirect attention, to correct sinful defiance. 
not just a kid being an immature kid. Like if a child accidentally knocks over a cup of milk, that warrants patience. That warrants perhaps comfort. But when a child looks deliberately at a parent with like a furrowed brow and gritted teeth and then knocks over the same cup of milk, well, the response is different. Several of our kids have now graduated out of the the spanking ages, but instances of that kind of defiance always brought a swift walk to the other room. Never a public shaming in which we would say, buddy, I cannot allow you to think of authority in that kind of way. That you get to decide ultimately what is right and wrong and that you get to decide what you will do. That God tells us what is right and wrong and I love you too much to think that it is okay to respond in this way. Or I love you too much to think that it's okay to just punch people when you get angry at them or whatever it is. So, we're gonna get two spankings now, which by the way, God has designed the bottom so well so well, to absorb. It hurts for like 45 seconds, and then that's it. There's no public shaming. Uh, We just move on with the day, but it is a very good way to just grab attention. And while some of those times then led to longer gospel conversations than others, sometimes we just needed to quickly grab attention and redirect and move on, but we always, always both in the past and today, into this day, we'll always ask after moments like that, say, buddy, why did you just get us making? And then our kids have to say, because you love me. Uh, We want to instill in our children that discipline comes because we love our children. We love them too much to let them walk in foolishness and in defiance. Now, like I said, we're transitioning out of the spanking forms of discipline with some of our kids. And because of the personalities of our kids, sometimes in a crowd of room of people, some of our kids and some of your kids may respond much uh, more quickly and responsively with just a, a stern look. Uh, they might melt with a stern look. That's all it takes. With some other kids, it, a, a walk to the other room is perhaps necessary, but all of the time it is worth it. Tripp says that you must be com- committed to, as a parent to a long view of parenting. Because change is a process and not an event. Do you believe that? That change and training up a child is a process. It is not an event. Tripp says that he has parents of four-year-olds come up to him all the time and say, Dr. Tripp, it's not working. It's just not working. I've done everything that you've said to do and it's not working. To which he responds like incredulously, like, how do you know? He's four. Or sometimes, how do you know? He's 16. Like, keep doing the work. Keep correcting, keep uh, disciplining, keep training up your child in wisdom and in love of God. Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Discipline is not an event. Correction is part of driving out foolishness and bringing wisdom. It's often said that you can deal with this now, when a child is four, or six, or eight, or you can deal with this later, when the child is 18, or when he or she is a young man, 25, 30. Many of these same things are still present in us as foolish, sinful people, but they just manifest themselves much more differently and oftentimes with much uh, more dangerous and lasting consequences later in life. 
teaching that authority and discipline are for our good is worth it in the young, young ages and on through childhood. Authority and discipline are not to be afraid of or distrusting of. But discipline is just but one element of an unending conversation about the fear of the Lord, the need for grace, the transformation of the Spirit. Because I'll tell you this, as parents, if you play act your way through parenting, if you play act your way through life, your kids are gonna know. Most of our parenting should be that of proactive preparation, of practicing, of playing out like hypothetical scenarios of when we get to this party or whatever else it's gonna be. Talking about the goodness of authority and obedience in life proactively rather than reactive frustration. Discipline is much more about being proactive rather than reactive. And when we fail our kids in frustration or anger, this reactivity, we must model and exhibit our need of grace. Asking for forgiveness of them when we sin against them, just as we expect them to do of us. Spurgeon once said, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure that you go in that way also. Kids like the rest of us can sniff out hypocrisy a mile away. And oftentimes, we have to admit that to our own kids. We have failed you in this way, and I'm sorry. Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children, that is the children of the one who has strong confidence in the fear of the Lord, those children will have refuge. The children of people who have strong confidence in the Lord will have a strong refuge in God. That doesn't mean that they're guaranteed salvation or anything. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that we cannot lead where we aren't first going. None of us are perfect parents. We are all weak and frail sinners. But thankfully, we are not leading our children into a religion of clean and proper morality but into a life of weak and needy grace. Now, we are really excited to, as Laurel mentioned, reopen and rework many of our short-term and long-term goals and plans for Christchurch kids. Uh, Lord willing, as we are coming out of COVID this year, please, may it be so. We're excited to get more tools and resources into your hands as parents as we come alongside you, as you do your important work of discipling your children, of training them for a skilled and flourishing life by surrounding them with the fear of God and knowledge and awareness of the gospel. So as Laurel said, stay tuned in the coming months. We're excited about that. But I've shared with you something before that I've heard Matt Chandler say that Christian parents, we Christian parents cannot bring life cannot bring a rebirth in our own kids. The goal of Christian parenting, then, should be to consider it our jobs for about 18 years or so, or longer, to be that of surrounding our kids with kindling. That is, that a conversation here, a conversation there, an ongoing conversation about the fear of the Lord and a need for grace is just piling up some leaves and some twigs around our kids, praying and singing, singing together in our homes and in our cars, more twigs, more leaves, bringing them with you to core classes that start in two Sundays, a week from today? Two weeks, two weeks from today. Core classes start two weeks from today. You heard from Raybo a few weeks ago tell about how he brought a couple of his kids with him to 
core classes and how those contexts were great conversation starters throughout the week. More twigs, some, some bigger sticks, correction and discipline, some bigger sticks, Bible reading and regular church att- attendance, more twigs, more sticks, all of that in hope that one day God might ignite them, ignite them with the light of Christ, by the power of his spirit. We cannot bring that life, but we can surround them with more and more kindling. That's gardening. That's gardening parenting. We cannot do it on our own. Not carpentry. It's not an engineered system. We all know parents who absolutely trained their children in the way that they should go, training their children well in the fear of the Lord, and their kids definitely departed from it. Again, the Proverbs are general truths, and Proverbs 22.6 is generally true, but it has exceptions. And so the Proverbs tell you, along with Deuteronomy 6, along with Hebrews 12, among others, that parenting is something that you do. It is not just something that you are. And so if you have kids, if you intend to one day have kids, if this is something you desire, begin thinking about that role with intentionality, even more intentionality today. And our goal cannot be to merely raise polite and respectful children, kids that are socially respectable who will one day get good jobs. That cannot be our highest goal for them. We all know tons of polite and respectful people who hate God. We all know socially respectful folks with good jobs who couldn't care less about the authority of God in their lives and their need for grace. So, we must trust the Lord, but we have a role to take on for ourselves as parents. So, parents, I'm turning my attention from you to you kids now. All of you that are here, let me turn my attention to you. If we spoke to your parents for a long way about training, let me speak to you now for a few minutes just about growing under their training, about being trained. Let's think about growing under their authority. Do you remember, kids, do you remember uh, a few months ago when we were thinking about Proverbs 7 and 8 and 9, uh, we were thinking about Solomon walking with one of his sons down the street, and as he's walking with his son down the street, he hears uh, this lady She's calling. Her name is Lady Wisdom, and she's standing outside a house. She's welcoming this young man to come into her party, to her big feast. Lady Wisdom is offering an amazing feast that would satisfy this young man forever if he would just but come inside. And then they keep walking, and Lady Folly, or Lady Foolishness, she is a little further down the road, and she's offering another kind of party. But we can see behind the curtain into our house, and it's actually not a party. It's actually just a pile of dead bodies. And we thought about, we asked, we asked ourselves, do you think that this young man, which party do you think he went in? Did he go into Lady Wisdom's party, or did he go into Lady Foolishness' party? It's probably Lady Folly, Lady Foolishness. Because the only reason that he was still on the street in the first place is because he kept walking. He didn't go into Lady Wisdom's house. Here's the thing, young guys and girls, one day, and even not just one day in the future, but today, you must choose. All of us, no matter how old we are, must choose. Will we choose wisdom? Will you choose Christ? Will you follow him? Will you become his disciple? Will you learn from him? Will you become like him? by his grace. This isn't a question of, all right, boys and girls, 
You have two options in front of you. Will you be a good boy and girl who never sins anymore? Or will you, be, will you continue to be a bad boy and girl who still sins? That's not the question. Will any of you, will any of us completely stop being a sinner? No. For the rest of our lives, no. Not until Jesus returns or takes us home. But the question for us all must be, even you young boys and girls who are five, six, seven years old, the question that you must begin asking yourself is, which direction will I begin walking for the rest of my life? Will I follow Jesus now? Not perfectly, but will I begin for the rest of my life to follow him? Solomon says in Proverbs 2, verse 1, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, and then he says a bunch of things that will go well for the son if he takes these words. That means that the son actually has the option in front of him of receiving those words or not receiving those words. Now, when we're really young, we generally like the things that our parents like. Is that true for you? Is that true for you kids? Uh, You may like the same sports teams as your dad likes. You might have many of the same hobbies and interests of, of your mom. You might like the same movies, like the same music as your parents. And all of that is really, really good. I think that's the way that God has designed us, to trust our parents, even if they aren't perfect, to want to be like them in many ways. But as we grow older, even as Young kids, we begin to more and more make decisions on our own. I mean, my son Owen is 13, and he likes the Seahawks instead of the Cowboys. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's wrong with it. Actually, he's probably really smart. He's probably really, really smart and really wise. He's he's chosen Lady Wisdom for himself and not becoming a Cowboy fan. But many of you right now might really like Jesus. You might not mind coming to church these days because your parents like Jesus. They like coming to church. That's what your family does. But there will come a day for all of you when you don't live in their house. There will come a day when they are not making you go to church. What then? There will come a day when they are not telling you that, hey, you can't watch this movie, or you can't be alone on the internet, or you can't buy any phone that you want or do whatever you want to. Your parents are placing rules or limits in your lives because they actually understand the world better than you do right now. Do you love them for leading you in that way, or does that make you mad? Solomon says in Proverbs 13:1 that a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to a rebuke. Do you know what this word scoffer is? Here's what a scoffer is. Someone who says, and like rolls their eyes. That's a scoffer. When we roll our eyes at our parents, we're actually creating habits for the rest of our lives to roll our eyes at God. Creating habits that when you're someday in your 20s, that you might think, oh, God doesn't really know. God doesn't understand my situation. God doesn't want me to be happy. His commands for my life don't really apply to me here. Those are the habits that you're now creating when you're seven, when you're nine, when you're 12. 
Many of us now in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s believe those lies about God today as adults because we've been thinking that way about authority our whole lives. Whether it is or was our parents, our teachers, even our elected leaders today, when we are constantly rolling our eyes at authority, we are training and cultivating habits to roll our eyes at God. So kids, listen to me very carefully. Your parents are not perfect. They are not Jesus. Though most of them are trying their best, they are all sinners just like you. Some of them maybe are not trying their best. They will actually really, really fail you. Maybe just like their parents failed them. And if you ever, kids, listen, if you ever feel unsafe from your parents, from other places of authority in your life, from a teacher or from a babysitter or whoever, you need to tell another adult about that as quickly as possible. But in the end, whether you have amazing parents that you love and trust and respect, or if you have parents that are difficult to trust and respect, that they really do disappoint you, you are the ones that will be responsible before God. Every single one of you, every single one of us, no matter what our parents have done in our lives, you will be responsible before God in how you come to him. Will you come to him in weakness, in humility, in need for grace, in a desire for correction and discipline? Or will you come to him in pride, in scoffing, in disobedience? Today is a really, really important day for the rest of your life. What kind of sixth grader do you want to be? Do you want to be kind and patient and caring when you're in the sixth grade? Well, start becoming kind and patient and caring now in the third grade. What kind of tenth grader do you want to be? Hardworking, selfless? Encouraging? Start becoming that today in the seventh grade. What kind of college student do you want to be? Disciplined? Bible-loving? Evangelistic? Start becoming that today in the ninth grade. You'll never be what you're not becoming. What do you want to be? What do you want to become? Today matters. And so it's in that sense that every sermon, not just today, but every sermon, every time that we gather, every time we or with our friends thinking and talking about the Lord, all of these times are sermons, times for us to think about what it means to be a kid, what it means to trust Christ in faith. You don't have to just be thinking about the kid's sermon or something like that. It's not just for our parents. It can be for us, for you. Okay, so we really should have made this into three sermons. Instead of three points, of one sermon. But like I said earlier, this sermon is for every single one, for one of us here, no matter what our age is, no matter our stage of life, and all of this because especially if you are a member of Christ Church here with us, we are the family of God. So lastly, living as the family of God, what I'm going to now say in these last few minutes is the ultra-extreme Cliff Notes version of the third session of a singleness seminar that we did together back in September of 2020. Which, by the way, you can find the audio of that whole seminar as well as an entire seminar on parenting that Pastor Ryan Kelly and Drew Hodge from Desert Springs did for us in November of 2019. You can find, I mean, that's like four sessions on parenting. I've done like 
15 minutes on parenting today. Uh, So if you go to the sermons tab of our website and then click at the bottom left-hand side of that page on seminars, uh, you'll find the audio for all of that. Let let me know if you are having any trouble finding that. But there's some just really, really good stuff there. But here's the thing. While I think that we are perhaps thinking decently about singleness, about the family of God here together, we have a long way to go. A long way to go. As many have pointed out, it seems like many, if not most, Christian high schoolers go to college to find a spouse, or at least to make themselves marketable enough to one day find a spouse. And the trend line for a Christian is then to get married, to get a job, in one order or the other, start making money, and then eventually start having kids. And then, as all of that begins happening, the drawbridge begins to go up. One author says that husband and wife, rightly concerned about marital breakdown, they make it a priority to have a weekly date night. Understandably, wanting the best for their children, they rush around most evenings and weekends, carting Hosea and Obadiah between after-school clubs, music lessons, math tutors, soccer matches and parties. They're so busy keeping their own family going that they don't really have time to interact with others, unless perhaps they have children who play well with their own. So, if you have a family, you can reason, reasonably feel like you have no time for, no, for anyone else. But that can mean that unless you have a family, you feel you have no one at all. And that does not make the single life feel plausible to anyone. This is not the picture of family or familial intimacy that is presented in the New Testament church. I think we kind of talk about the church as if it was a family, like its family. We should treat that guy well because he's in a relationship with me that bears resemblance to that relationship that I might have with a biological brother. Or she's kind of like my sister. But the biblical authors do not use this language to get you to pretend. To trick yourself into caring for someone more intently by pretending like they are your brother or sister. The family or household of God is a family. Sharing familial life under the common fatherhood of God with all the rights of inheritance earned for us by our righteous older brother, God the Son, and united together in spirit and in love by God the Spirit. So married folks, this means that some golden calves might need melting in your life. That means that perhaps, since you likely have more spots around the dinner table, around the board game table, on the couch for movie night, why not fill them up? If you're going to have a Friday movie night with your family anyway, why not invite all of the single folks in your GC over to join it? The family of God finding more and more seamless overlap amongst different biological families. Maybe even holidays, vacations, extending out to others as well, looking for more and more ways to overlap and to extend And this is not just because we want single people to feel less lonely. Because here's the point of all of this and how this relates to all of us in this room. How this relates to parenting. How this relates to you, single folks. How this relates to you, married folks who do not have children. We parents need you really badly. Our kids need you. In many ways, our kids are your kids too. 
Paul never had any biological children. He calls Timothy his true son. Same like we saw last week that Paul talks about Philemon, his son. There's a man, Sam Albury. He's an Anglican, so there are some different cultural expectations. But I love how he's trying to revive the original understanding of his role as a godfather to a couple of his dear friend's kids. He says that every family is weird in its own way, and that is true. Every family in this church is weird in its own way. And our kids actually do need different voices of spiritual discipleship apart from their parents. Not instead of, but in addition to. So how great would it be if like every new baby in our church had a single guy or a single gal come alongside these new parents and say, I will commit to walk with you, to walk alongside you in the spiritual formation of this little one. I'm in, like I'll be around. I'll be around to help read the Bible stories or have supplementally awkward teen conversations. I'll help encourage them to honor you and your authority. I'll be around with a ready and available phone call in the college years. I mean, like seriously, what dude in this room would not want to be a godfather? And what gal in this room would not want to be a godmother? Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. And since the singleness seminar that from a couple years ago now, one of you has actually become a godfather of one of the babies of our church. I now have to kiss his ring every time I come into his presence. But that's great. Because Proverbs eleven fourteen is true. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I love that our kids are getting to be around and hear from many of you single dudes in this room who are at my house so regularly. Most of the times, you Jews are just inviting yourselves over. Keep doing it. Single folks, I'm going to say this as gently as I possibly can. Stop waiting for other people to include you. Undoubtedly, we married folks need some American family calf melting. But just invite yourself in. Many of these parents would love for you to be around for dinner tonight but they are just barely keeping their own schedules together. Just join in. Like, come on in, into our homes. The water is just fine, and we want you there. For some of you single folks that are coming and joining in these lives, one day you will have your own biological or adopted children. And everything that we have considered today and everything that we considered in the first six weeks of the intro to Proverbs uh, will then very much apply to you as a parent. So start practicing now. Start like fixing yourself onto parents that are 10 or 20 years older than you and just watching and observing. Start practicing. If you want to one day be an intentional discipling parent of teenagers, start discipling some teenagers today. Start getting better at it. For others of you who may never marry, but then by filling up your weeks with children, with teenagers, with 20-somethings, you will likely have more kids. You will likely have more spiritual children and grandchildren than all of us parents in this room. But only if there is overlap, if there is extension within our body, within our family. The the 20th century family, the 20th century American family, has encountered many, many social changes. Changes that are likely here for good. But I'm so glad to be a part of a church where we can redeem, where we can repurpose 
many of the benefits of like the extended intergenerational family that humans have experienced for centuries, now in the family of God, not bound by our blood, but by the blood of Christ. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.